Today on Locked On Red Wings, Detroit acquires Jeff Petrie from Montreal. Does he fit? And if so, where? Your Locked On Red Wings, your daily podcast on the Detroit Red Wings. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Red Wings podcast. We are your hosts, Brian Fisher and Scotty Bentley. I'm a podcast producer for the Daily J, a WWJ News Radio podcast. Well, Scotty's the host over at Locked On Tigers, as well as a freelance journalist for the Detroit News. And on today's episode, guys, a nice little break from the player previews as Steve Eisenman decided to make a move uh, th- this I afternoon, uh, acquiring Jeff Petrie, Detroit, well, Ann Arbor native, Jeff Petrie, son of Detroit Tigers 1984 World Series champion Dan Petrie. Don't know if you guys knew that. It's not like they tell you every single time Jeff's in Detroit. Um, He's a Detroit Red Wing now. Two years left um, on his current contract. And Scotty, I mean, the first thing we should talk about is like break down the trade and talk about if we think it's a good trade. So I don't know if you have the info up in front of you, but if you want to break down what we gave up in return, go for it. Yeah, well, I I mean, well, I I think for starters, we will – that made no sense. I was going to say four starters and then say we will get to this. So that, that doesn't make sense. Um, I, I do want to lay out there that like we will. I, I think the a majority of this conversation is not like, is this value good or bad? I think it's pretty uh, the word I'm going to use is obvious that like we made out better uh, in this trade and we got the best player in the deal. I guess you can put it that way. Um, so like I, I will talk about the value for sure. Uh, and, and I will get to that right in like five seconds, but I think a majority of this conversation really is like, what does the blue line look like now? And I think that that's probably what a majority of the show is going to end up being about. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was Petrie, as you said, uh, last name there is, uh, is Detroit royalty, uh, Jeff Petrie for Lindstrom and a 2025 it was. Oh, it's right there in front of me. 2025 fourth <laughs> round pick. Conditional um, fourth round pick. Right. And uh, and then also as far as the salary retainment goes, I believe the Wings by the end of, you know, like the three different teams who are now writing this dude a paycheck, I think the Wings are paying him 33%, a little bit over 33%. Uh, when it's all said and done of like his like actual yearly salary. So um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is fine. Like this is good. I, 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 you know, we didn't get like the best defenseman in the NHL. This isn't like some groundbreaking thing, but in my eyes, this is just as simple as we just up, we just took our seventh D man, like objectively our seventh D man, the guy who, without any question, without any shadow of a doubt, was absolutely the seventh best defenseman on the team. And we improved him. And like to a point where now it's a conversation of who even is going to be the seventh defenseman. I think that that's an upgrade. The blue line got better. The depth in this team got better. I, I, I have, and again, like you're not on the hook for a majority of the money that this dude's being paid. And there's not even that much term left. So like, I, I have a hard time finding like, a real issue in this deal in a vacuum. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's going to, we're sending Gustav Lindstrom back a 2025 conditional fourth round pick. And the condition on that, by the way, guys is uh, Red Wings have two fourth round picks that year, Detroit's and Boston's, and it'll be whatever pick is the later of the two that we send to Montreal. So 
And on top of that, his contract, he gets paid 6.250. Red Wings are only on the hook for 2.3 million. That's how right. much his cap is going to hurt the Red Wings. You're paying for two more years, $2.3 million to Jeff Petrie. In a vacuum, this, like you said, Scotty, I completely agree with you. It's a win. It's, uh, and I mean, a win loss is, I feel like not every trade has to be on the scale of win loss. But, you know, this is a guy we talked about last offseason. I remember we did an episode about, because Montreal sounded like they were going to move on from him. And I was advocating at that point. We were advocating at that point to get Jeff Petrie in a Detroit Red Wings uniform because he still had some gas left in the tank. And for a rebuilding team, he was kind of the perfect veteran presence who might want to go home. Instead, they went out and signed Ben Chirot to a four-year deal, but I digress. This season, this offseason, it, it's pretty well confirmed at this point that Kent Hughes of the Montreal Canadiens did Jeff Petrie a favor by trading him back to his hometown. And I, I think it, it massively complicates the defensive pairings, but that's a good problem to have. I, I tweeted about it, and I don't want to get into this now, but it, it gives Rovings a lot of flexibility with the defensive pairings, whereas before, you knew Gustav Lindstrom was going to be your seventh D-man. That's not so solid anymore, and that's a good problem to have because now you can rotate, you know, solid defensemen in and out because Jeff Petrie's capable of playing top pair minutes, and he has, even as up, even as most recently as last year, he was still playing. If you look at his evolving hockey card, you know, top pair level minutes with the Pittsburgh Penguins, and ultimately they missed the playoffs, and his production did slide last year. But you know, Jeff Petrie, while having had his production slide a little bit. And having two more years left, I think he'll be like 37 or 38 by the time this contract expires. I mean, it's still an upgrade over a 22-year-old, 23-year-old Gustav Lindstrom who didn't look like he had an NHL future ahead of him. So it gives the roster a lot of flexibility on who to play. And I think it's just uh, if you're going to give it a, a win or a loss grade, I think it's a win for Detroit and even bigger win for Detroit because they aren't paying him however much money the Canadians were going to, because again, Pittsburgh retained some on their trade back to Montreal and then Montreal retained more. So Detroit's only paying 2.3. So you got a veteran D man who's still productive on both ends of the ice for 2.3 mil. You just hope he doesn't regress too far that it kind of is like, why is this guy here? And yeah. And, and, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen and I don't think it will happen, but even if it does, then, okay, then he's just your seventh D man. (laughs) I mean, like it's, it's really a a low risk. I I don't think the reward is like super high. I don't think that there's like, you know, at 35 years old that Jeff Petrie is just going to turn into, you know, like a, I don't know, like one of the best defense in the league or something. Like it's, it's not like a huge upside thing, but it's a very, very low risk move. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, just from a pure value standpoint, I, I, I think it's hard to really be too upset. And when you talk about the win loss, not to, you know, we don't, we don't have to talk about the Canadian side of this, uh, really, you know, like too terribly long, but, um, I, I don't think that there has to be a winner and a loser in every trade either. Like, I, I don't think that this is like some awful, you know, fleece, like the Canadians no. are like, Oh my, you know what I mean? Like their fan no. base is like, Oh my goodness. We just got absolutely fleeced. Like, and they're like, okay, we, we got, even if it's not all of it, we had to retain some of it. Like we got uh, a pretty big chunk of that contract off the books. We got a young defenseman, you know, and it's good for Lindstrom too. We can talk right, about yeah. that aspect as He'll well. He'll certainly get more of an opportunity there. And, uh, the, you know, the Habs will see if, if they have the, uh, the, I don't know, ability to maybe develop him further than he ever was going to in Detroit like this, you know, there, there doesn't have to be like a big loser. There doesn't have to be someone to point and laugh at on every trade. And, 
I think that this is one where like both teams are sitting back afterwards going like, yeah, this is, this will work out well. I'm pretty, I'm pretty pleased with this. Yeah. I mean, and that's talking in a vacuum and I, I feel, I don't know if we should start this conversation now. Should we just go to an early break? I know it's only eight minutes in, yeah, get out of the way. And then we can get into phase two. Because of the conversation. I, yeah. I think that that is a majority of the conversation. It's just like what the blue line really looks like now. On a nightly well, basis. What's the blue line really looks like, but I also want to talk too, because in a vacuum, we talked about in a vacuum, this is a good deal to make. You you moved out two assets that weren't really going to affect your team, and you brought in a, a, a guy who's still effective for two more years and wants to be here. So, like in a vacuum, it makes sense. But when you look at the defense Red Wings decor as a whole, you have to start asking questions like, you know, why did they bring in another veteran? Another veteran, middle of the road. Like it's a very middle of the road defensive core, if you ask me. And that's not necessarily bad. Like I'd love middle of the road because it's better than last year, but it's just, uh, I have some questions about the overall outlook of the defensive core, and it's got some pros and it's got some cons. So I want to talk about that too in segment two. That was unintentional. But first, I got to talk to you guys today about FanDuel. Football season is about to kick off, and FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long. Because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl, and you'll get bonus bets for every victory. You can use your bonus bets on spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sportsbook. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Segment two, Locked On Red Wings podcast. Scotty, I got to ask. So you're looking at this defensive core now, and it's a lot better than it was last year, and there's the pro. Right, that's the pro that we're we're giving Steve Eiserman in this build. But then you also look at it, and it's a lot of like, you know, middle of their career towards the end of their career veteran defensemen. You got Ben Sherratt, you got Shane Ghostespierre, you got Justin Hall, you know, Jake Wallman and more et cetera. Obviously, like your your guys you're putting up on a pedestal and be like these are the guys. We got Olimata, and now you have Jeff Petrie. There's just a influx of. I don't want to call, you know, Olimata older. He's only 28, but like guys who have been around the league and are veterans and, you know, none of them are top tier defensemen, middle of the pack defensemen. Like this defensive core looks very middle of the pack and that is an improvement, but that's not also what you want for a team that's trying to push for the playoffs on the flip side. And that's the con. So while in a vacuum, this trade is good. And I think the Red Wings got more value in the trade than the Montreal Canadiens. I'm wondering if it makes sense for the Detroit Red Wings to acquire an aging Jeff Petrie when they have guys like Simon Edvinson, Albert Johansson, and uh, William Willinder in the prospect pool that are seemingly ready to make a push here very soon. I know Edvinson's you know, still recovering from his injury, but he played nine games last year. Albert Johansson would have played NHL games if it weren't for the fact that he was injured. I mean, this is just another roadblock to these guys making the NHL roster. And I know, I know that Steve Eisman has said guys who have earned it will play, but are you really going to healthy scratch a guy who's, you know, who, whoever you have as your seventh D man, and we'll get to that when we do projected defensive pairings, but like one of your seventh D man is going to be making more than $2 million. There's just no way around that. You don't have a single guy except for more cider in your defensive core. Who's making less than $2 million. So you're going to have a really expensive, healthy scratch. So that's my question is, is well in a vacuum, right? He's got more value. Does the trade make sense for Detroit? Yes. I genuinely, like I don't see 
everything you just laid out as even a remote issue. Like, honestly, I, 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 it's not even like on my radar of things that I'm even mildly concerned about. Like this is a, a team. This is how good organizations are ran. Like this is, this is what, what like good, healthy, sustained products look like. And I know that that hasn't happened in like forever, but like, that's what, that's what sustained product looks like. You have solid NHL starters, solid, you know, professional top end starters that are solidified in all of their roles. And then you still also have top prospects that can break through a, an injury is going to happen. When was the last time all seven members of a blue line stayed completely healthy throughout an entire season? Never. So like you're going to have an opening at some point, just like regardless because of that. But for me, it's, just, that's just I, I know that like I, I get heat for like putting everything in baseball terms but like like the Dodgers that's like what the, the Dodgers for the last decade have had one of the best major league teams ever that's probably a stretch but like one of the best rosters year in and year out they have one of the best rosters in baseball and also have one of the best prospect rankings in baseball every single year and like that's just how like uh and I'm not saying that this blue line is like the best blue line in the NHL or anything as you said like it's it's probably much closer to a middle of the road defensive unit as a whole but like th- that think that will iron itself out like the the Red Wings are not just going to look around and go well we have Jeff Petrie now I guess we're going to give up on Simon Edvinson like that's not going to happen they're not just going to go well you know we have Ole Mata so like forget William Wallander and like, forget Albert Johansson. Like that's not going to happen. Like when they earned their shot, they will find a way to put them in the lineup. And uh, like, they, they just will, like they, they will absolutely 100% find a way. And as far as like, Oh, well then you're healthy scratching someone expensive. I could give less of a damn. Like if you have, you have cap space. Like, I don't, I don't care. Like (laughs) if this team was like up against the cap, maybe I, then I'd be like, Oh, like, you know, that probably isn't a great use of funds, but like, if you have the money, use it, dude, I don't really care about that. So like, I just, I view this as like healthy depth much more than I view it as an issue. Yeah. And I mean, like let's, and Jay fresh tweeted out his, his war card and it's in, Here's the thing. Let, let's look at this real quick because I want to I want to weave this in here, and I don't know a fluid way of blending this in without just sounding incredibly awkward. So here's his war card for this upcoming season, courtesy of Jay Fresh on Twitter, and you can see that over the course of the last three years, he has been a overall fifty percent war. So like literally, quite literally, middle of the pack, slightly above even strength offense at uh, war. Strength slightly above even strength defense. He is a good veteran two-way defenseman who has seen his play slightly decline the last three years. Each of the last two, you can see it in the war percentile timeline. Uh, while his defense has actually gone up a little bit, his offense has taken a, quite a bit of a step back. But even in his step back year last year, he still put up half a point a game in 60 games. He was 32 points in, I think, 65 games played here. Give me a second to double check on that. Um 61 games played, 31 points, so slightly above half point per game, which is a good defensive production, especially from a 35-year-old. So if you can get that the next two years, despite the fact that he'll be 36 and 37, and I think he'll actually turn 38 in December of next year. I think he's 36 right now. This says age 35, but that was 
this time last he year. Turns 36 in December. Okay. So he'll be 37 um, when his contract is up with the trikes. He's got yep. two more years left. If he can continue to bring this production, even if it's at a declining rate, he can serve as a seventh pair defenseman with the Detroit seventh pair, seventh defenseman or third pair defenseman right. with the Detroit Red Wings. And with the money you're paying him, he'll be the obviously the least expensive of your seventh D man. But I, I think that overall, I agree with you, Scotty, that he is a pretty good like utility to have. You can see here his time on the ice, his average for the last few years is top line minutes, top pair minutes. He was playing top pair minutes with Pittsburgh last year. Had over a thousand minutes played, I believe, with the Pittsburgh Penguins. I could be mistaken on that. I'm going to double check on that while we're talking. But he, he plays a lot of time. Hundred minutes last year. Thank you. Thirteen hundred minutes last year. Like this is a guy who plays a lot despite his age. The year before. So while his play might be declining, he's going to be put into a lesser role with the Detroit Red Wings. I expect Jeff Petrie to be your third pair defenseman. If at worst, he'll be your seventh defenseman. So being put in a position where he's not facing the other team's elite of the elite, while his age might hinder his production, the competition he's going against will help, you know, keep that consistent. So he might not get 30 points next year because he'll be playing third pair of minutes. I think he's going to be a pretty solid third pair, seventh defenseman with the Detroit Runnings. Not that I, not that I even necessarily think he's going to be the seventh defenseman, because let's not forget also the value he has as a right side D man. Gustav Lindstrom obviously had that, but there was never any question that Gustav Lindstrom was going to be your seventh D man. Cause he just wasn't very good. The J fresh card for Gustav Lindstrom was, and I'm so happy that he gets a real opportunity with Montreal. Now, hopefully uh, to really take a step forward in his game. I know the Red Wings were kind of disappointed that in the lack of uh, development he showed, but he was a 9% war. The, over the last couple of years. And I know he didn't get a ton of playing time, but the playing time he did get, it just did not show well. So if he can bring us 50 percentile war on the third pair, like that's, he's going to be pretty solid. He will. Again, I just, I just worry about being clogged with middling defensemen and whether or not that will affect the ability of some of the young guys making the leap to the NHL. But again, I try and reassure myself with the idea and here. I have this, I'm having this argument with myself right now, Scotty. Um, that Steve Eiserman has said that guys who earn it will earn it. And if there's a player who's making a lot less money uh, and on a rookie contract that has earned it, he's not going to just play a guy because they make a lot of money. Yeah. Well, it's also just like, it's, it's like not that hard to like, it, it's not like all seven of these guys are like under contract for the next four years for four mil AAV. Like, and that's a really huge thing to bring up too. That's a good point. It, you know what I mean? Like if, if they really want to make a spot, like, okay, you, you halfway through this season, if Oli Mata is a traffic cone out of nowhere and you want to give one of those three guys, we just mentioned a legitimate look, then you put them on waivers. If someone picks them up, great. You're off the hook for the money. If no one picks them up, then like, guess what? You're going to cut them and you'll eat like the year and a half you have, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you have left of a, of a not too high AAV and only modest contract or you work out a buy it or whatever. Like, it's not like it's, it's just like going to be impossible to find. I'm really like, seriously, I, I cannot even express how little I'm worried about this scenario where like the, the kids, they, they, they absolutely, if, if they earn an opportunity and it's very clear that, that they that they have earned an opportunity, they will absolutely find their way onto the roster. It's yeah. it, you know, Jeff Petrie is is not going to like roadblock Edvinson if he's like the best player the Griffins have ever seen. Like they're not gonna be like, oh well, 
I don't know, man. Like we have only Mata and, and Jeff Petrie now. Like guess guess we're just like kind of stuck here. Like they'll 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 find out. For me, it's 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 a good problem to have because you uh you have less pressure on those guys. Like they're they you they have to produce more to get that opportunity. There's less pressure on them. Um, and then obviously, like I said earlier, someone's gonna get hurt eventually. It's it's hockey and and no blue like complete defensive unit ever has you know stayed 100 healthy the entire season no you're completely right and like to your credit you have petrie and olimata who are here for two more seasons then you have wallman justin hall and sharat who are here for three more seasons so it's like there will be roster turnover as time goes on and you know going into those guys final seasons next year it's nothing to say they can't just easily be dealt so i mean i i agree with you that what I'm concerned with isn't a major concern, but I would be remiss if I didn't address that concern also. It's a better defensive core, but it is very log jammed with veterans out of nowhere all of a sudden. Sure. Um, which so is, I think it's you, worth noting. For sure. I, I think it is worth noting. And I, and I think it's worth noting because it, it really, and, and I guess this is another point that I guess I, I've been trying to make and not articulating very well is like, this is the difference between long-term and short-term outlook. I am not worried in the slightest about Edvinson, Johansson, and and Volander getting a legitimate look at the NHL level at some point over the next couple of seasons, not even a little bit. But if you're talking just about the 2023-2024 season, then obviously that becomes a different conversation where it's like, yeah, now the path for them to get to the NHL roster, like on opening night, like we were talking, you know, in May about like, Oh, what are the chances Edvinson's on the opening night roster? And like, you know, like we, we said, like Johansson would have made the NHL if he didn't get hurt at the end of last season. Like those conversations for sure become a lot more tricky in the immediate future, but long-term plan wise, I, uh, again, I, I can't express enough how little of a concern it is for me. Yeah, absolutely. We're gonna take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to, try and figure out again what the red wings defensive core could look like uh so make sure you it's a fun game we play it's an evergreen we play every week pretty much so stay tuned to locked on red wings segment three locked on red wings podcast scotty let's try and figure out these defensive pairings again it's crazy you you just immediately throw away basically all the uh the episode we did a couple weeks ago because we didn't think the Red Wings would make another trade, but I guess it's foolish of us to do a roster look outlook episode in the middle of August, but forgive us. It's the off season. Uh, anyways, Scotty, let's, uh, let's do this. Um, let me get this up here. I, I quickly made a cat friendly thing so people can have a visual if they're watching us on YouTube, but now I'm going to try and find it. There we go. Hockey is a sport. Hockey is a sport. <laughs> That we like to play. You guys get to see these ads that pop up for me. Um, that's fun. But anyways, defensive pair one. Do we even have to talk about it? No, we do that's, not. That's penalty kill. First of all, let's let's make sure we get these in the right area. Where is the is power play penalty kill? Where, where? Oh, I'm an idiot. It's been a while since I've done this. I'm sorry, guys. Forgive me. We knew that, dude. Yeah, it's. I'm literally staring it right in the face, but I was looking over the special teams for some reason. So you got Cider and Wallman as your top pair of one. Who's your pair two? Um, it's a great question, man. I uh, honestly, hold on. Let me 
zoom in so I can see better. Um, Let me zoom in for you too. Boom, I there we go. think that I am still fairly confident that the second pair will be Ghost and Justin Hall. Interesting. Okay. So are you not, not? Do you have a different thought for two? No, it's not that I disagree. I am just genuinely baffled. And I talked yeah, about it's... this. It's it's a good problem to have. Trading of Gustav Lindstrom and acquiring an actual NHL caliber defenseman allows your team to have so much more flexibility with your defensive structure. So like if we include a guy who's gonna be your seventh D man right now, that doesn't mean they're gonna be seventh D man the entire year. Well, like things could shift. And, and I, even, I mean, you can go back to our episodes and, you know, right after free agency, right? Like, I mean, we had made that point a couple of times, even when we did have like a bona fide seventh team, man, it was just going to be Lindstrom. Like even the six that we had, like, I, I mean, I, I can remember multiple conversations where we had said, you know, like this is going to juggle a lot. Like they're probably going to play matchups and, and see what works and what doesn't and, and try different fits against different either schemes or just uh, just trying different personnel groups yeah. just for the sake of trying different personnel groups. That was when we had six, like, <laughs> you know, when we had like, okay, these are the six though. Now, I mean, it, it becomes even more of a, of a toss up on a night to night basis. I, I really, I, I, I appreciate this exercise because I, I think it's important to do and important to lay out, but I think we're going to see a million different combinations yeah, uh, and I, I, blue I, line throughout the course of the season. I really do think it's possible that Ghost Despair plays third pair and Sherratt plays with Justin Hall. I don't want that to happen, but I, I do see reality where that is your second pair. Well, then. But at the why, same time. Sorry, I, I don't mean to cut you. I no, feel like you keep cutting you off. No, you're good. It's just, like I said, there, there's a lot to think about here because. Well, it is important to have left side defensemen play left side and right side defensemen play right side. That's not an end all be all. We all, all know he goes to spare and Sherrod, despite being left-handed can play on the right side. In fact, goes to spare historically has had about 50% of his pay, uh, ice time play on the right side, despite being left-sided or left-handed. But I think Jeff Petrie is a consistent enough defenseman who can provide a slightly above average offense. He's a slightly above average two-way defenseman still, despite his age, that I think that he could earn an everyday spot on the right side, be it on the bottom pair. I mean, I think you're looking at a, a situation where Oli Mata or Ben Chirot could be your, your, your seventh team, man, as crazy as that sounds. I mean, but Ben Chirot didn't have a great year last year. And, you know, Oli Mata, we did and earned himself an extension despite the fact that he came down with, I think, Mono at one point. And that's why mm -hmm. he missed a lot of time. But Oli Mata's skill set is also pretty limited. Uh, and the fact that he's like solely a defensive defenseman. So like at best, he's a third pair defenseman with this team. So like, I, I, I really think you're looking at a situation where on your right side, it's going to be Cider, Hall, and Petrie. And on the left side, it's going to be Wolman, Ghost Despair, and then either Sherrod or Mata. I, I genuinely think that that might be what you're looking at as either Sherrod or Mata being your seventh man, seventh D-man. And I talked about in segment two, Scotty, about it's going to be a really expensive guy in the press box, but this is the situation that Steve Eisman has made it. And, it was clearly intentional. So, and the, again, this defensive core is without a doubt better than it was last year. I don't want to make it sound like I'm complaining. Like this is a improved defensive core. It's just an expensive scratch every single night, no matter who it is, assuming right. they're healthy. Which again, like, I, I mean, you have the cap, why not? I don't really care. But like, that, that is objectively true. I, I think that um, 
man, like, so if, I mean, if you're really set on, not that I'm saying you specifically are really set, but like if, if there is a world where this coaching staff is set on Sherratt and Hall on a pair together. And I'm not then, saying they are. I'm just saying. No, no, no. I, I know that. I, that's why I made that stipulation. Like, I'm not saying you specifically, but like, if that is something that they think works well, then why wouldn't you just make that the second pair even or third pair rather no that's a good point and then you can do ghost petri left right or mata ghost left right and and seventh petri yeah i i think you're gonna have the two just have the most expensive third pair in the history of hockey (laughs) and you know what i mean like i I think that i think that if you were to put them on a pair together, you would, I, I just, I don't see, you know, it's, it's August 16th, but like, I don't see any justification right now in having ghost outside of your top four. I, I think I, I just don't see a world in which that's like putting the best hockey team on the ice every night. And so I, I think, and like ghost gives you the great flexibility of like, you can either do, like I said, you can either do ghost Petrie left, right, or you can do Mata ghost left, right, because he can play either. Um, but if if Hall and Sherratt find themselves on a pair together, I, I think that has to be your third pair. Yeah. I, hmm. I think you're looking at a situation here where you're going to have a lot like last year, a rotating seventh defenseman. Right. But it's just going to be a lot more expensive, but also a lot more talented than it but was. Also better, last right? Yeah, and again, like that's that's the 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 argument I'm having within myself is that this is a much better defensive core, but it's just laden with veterans on, you know, not cheap contracts. So it's like, I mean, I guess that's kind of that, would that you comes with the territory. Kept, would you rather have kept Lindstrom? No, no. And I like, that's why I okay, say in a vacuum, well then, like this trade makes sense. There you go. Yeah. It just makes it really hard to try I mean, and Lindstrom's predict. young and cheap. Like that, that doesn't inherently like make it more appealing. Yeah. So like, I, was, is, de- I was definitely better. more okay with Lindstrom being your seventh defenseman, knowing he made next to no money and had like no NHL future, but that's not a right good mentality to have that. Like your, your seventh well, defenseman that, shouldn't be a guy you don't trust. Like that doesn't make well, any there's sense. There's a difference between easier decision and better defensive core. Like, yeah. Lindstrom was certainly, it was the slam dunk, obviously, but I mean, this is significantly better. Like this is, you know, I'm not trying to make Petrie sound like a world beater, but like, I mean, this is objectively your blue line just got like objectively a big upgrade. It's deeper and it has a lot of flexibility in terms of pairing and that flexibility in terms of pairing is what makes it so hard to decide. Well, you have multiple dudes, right? You have multiple dudes who can play both sides too, which certainly helps the flexibility as well. These five defensemen here, these outside of Wallman insider, these five defensemen goes to spare Petrie, Sherratt, Hall and Mata could just, I, I I don't know what it could look like on opening night. I'm pretty confident Mata isn't going to go above your third pair unless he just like shows out this year. Yeah, agreed. But like Sherratt could be anywhere between pair two and seventh E-man. I mean, I, I feel the same thing with Jeff Petrie. He could be pair two to seventh E-man. Mata is third pair or seventh E-man. So it, I don't think Justin Hall is going to, I don't know. Justin Hall could be your seventh E-man. I don't know. I, I the only three defensemen who I think are a surefire to be every day in this roster on this lineup is Wolman, Sider, and Ghost Bear. The other guys, I'm like any one of them could be rotating in and out of your seventh man slot. And it's a good problem to have. 
because yeah. the roster is more competitive. Yeah, for sure. I, I still, I would still default to, I think I would still default to Petrie being your seventh more nights than not. Um, just because, uh, uh, I mean, of all the dudes we've mentioned, like, uh, obviously Wallman is up there at the top, but like Mata's the only like pure left, right? Yes. Like, and I know that that doesn't mean, you know, like what, like just because they, they can play both doesn't mean like, that's not a bad thing, but I think that um, he just had a solid year. And I think putting him down in the third for left side is just a, a kind of a slam dunk thing early on in the season. But yeah, I, I, we're definitely going to see a lot of rotations um, throughout the year. And I, I guess to your point, if, if salary does matter at all, then in the decision-making technically we're playing, we're paying Petrie the fewest out of. But salary shouldn't matter, right? That's the, th- no, the point it, we're it trying won't. to make. Uh, like it, it definitely won't. I'm just saying like, if that if if that means anything to anyone, like he he will be uh, the cheapest one. But yeah, that that's not going to matter. I I think, yeah, I my my gut tells me that he Petrie is, is he he's going to have he's going to be the seventh more nights than maybe anybody else. Like by the end of the season, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be like frequent. At That's what's funny time, is you know? I actually feel like Sherrod or Mata could end up being the seventh D man. I think Petrie Mata's being... gonna be an easy candidate as well. I, yeah. I, I don't disagree with that over the course of the season. Because Petrie's still a pretty solid two way defenseman despite his age. And if his if his performance is anywhere near what it has been in recent years, yeah. Um, like it, it, he could easily I mean, again, like he was a fifty percent war at thirty five years old despite playing top pair level minutes. So like you well, put the, him on a lower pair, he's going to be fine. So I guess to the, to the, and I know we got to wrap it up here, but I, I guess to the, to the salary conversation, again, it, it, it shouldn't matter. I think Ben Sherratt would be a spectacular seventh D man. <laughs> but well, the, I mean, that is one where like, you know, salary doesn't matter. We just said two seconds ago, well, if Ben Sherratt was making 800K, I promise you we'd all just be looking at this roster and going, yeah, Ben Sherratt's the seventh D-man. But yeah. he's making four point most. Literally is the most, is the highest paid D-man on this entire blue line. So that's not the conversation we're having. Well, and it's also worth being, and I don't know how true this is. I, I read something on the internet, so don't that's take that risky, with a grain of You shouldn't I, do that. I'm just prefacing with the fact that I read this on the internet, so I don't know how true it is. But I saw people saying that Jeff Petrie and Ben Sherratt had pretty good chemistry in their time in Montreal together. So, I mean, that's a realistic because you got to think about chemistry, too. I know we're at 35 minutes already, but thinking about chemistry as well. I mean, Ben Sherratt is more of a defensive defenseman. And I'm saying that in air quotes. He's physical. Jeff Petrie can play both sides of the ice fairly solidly. So it's like when you're trying to figure out chemistry as well. I mean, that matters. That matters a whole bunch, too. Basically, what it comes down to, guys, is when trying to figure out these defensive pairings is I'm be blunt. I have no idea. And I like that idea. I like that. It's not obvious. I like that. It could be literally anyone in the bottom four defensemen could be anywhere. So it's a good problem to have. And hopefully Derek alone can figure it out for me because God knows I can't <laughs> for sure. One little tidbit before we wrap up, um, NHL active point leaders for Michigan born players. Okay. Okay. So top 10 
career points for Michigan-born players in the NHL. The Red Wings now have number two, number four, number five, and number 10. All on that list. We didn't even talk about the fact that Steve Erzman keeps stocking up on Michigan-born athletes. Yep. Larkin is two, Dabrinkit's four, Petrie's five, and Cop is 10. Nice. They have they have yeah, everyone in <laughs> everyone in the top five except for Krug who's at the top, and then Kyle Connor who's three, and then yeah they have Copper down at ten. So just interesting they have four of the ten like that doesn't make them the best necessarily, but four of the ten uh, highest career point totals for Michigan-born players in the NHL right now. Yep. And then the final note, guys, is Robert Master Simone. I'm gonna Master Simone. I don't even know how to pronounce that name. Uh, second overall, second round pick, 54th overall in the 2019 NHL draft by the Detroit Red Wings, not signed to an entry-level contract by the 5 p.m. deadline on Tuesday. So he is officially an unrestricted free agent, no longer with the Red Wings organization. Um, he played, the Red Wings drafted him, he was with Boston University. He transferred to Arizona State this past year at 42 points in 38 games played. Never impressed the Detroit Red Wings enough to earn an entry-level contract. So he gone, no longer a prospect of Detroit Red Wings. He, I rumor is he's, he's looking to turn pro. So he'll probably land in either an AHL or an ECHL contract here, unless he goes overseas. And uh, that's really it. That's the note. And Red Wings, one less prospect in the organization. Yes. Um, I was trying to think of something else I could say, because we've said one last note, like five times in a row now. And I was just trying to think of, <laughs> I could think of anything else, uh, well, <laughs> but I, I can't. So I guess that's the end. Good job, buddy. We'll be back on Friday with a new episode. Let us know what you think of the Jeff Petrie deal. And thank you, Scotty. Uh, everyone knows I am bald. It is well as well-known fact. Let us know what you think of the Jeff Petrie deal. Where do yeah. you think he'll fit? And if you think that this deal was a good idea. So we'll be back on Friday. Final thoughts? We ball. We ball. Same time, same place, your team, every day. Every day. Every day.